I tell you what, I could get used to this. Um, and uh, although this is going to be a little surprise to the person who I'm about to call out, but that's okay. We, we, we communicated via email enough, and she checked it on her card, so we're just going to go for it. Um, we have another uh, Christian lady who is uh, wanting to identify and place her membership with our congregation, and that's Dawn Wack. Dawn, please stand up. Uh, this is Dawn. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Dawn uh, was raised in the old Birmingham Church of Christ, and some of us old-timers in the area know what I'm talking about there, uh, and then has spent time with the Royal Oak Church and the Heritage Church, and we're just happy to welcome you into our church family here. And uh, we've known you for a while because Jackie No happened to marry her husband's best friend. Okay, so that was Glenn, who we all knew passed away many years ago but, uh, and, and loved. So, uh, uh, Don, it's just, we're happy to have you a part of our church family and uh, whatever we can do to support you. Uh, and we know God will use you in great ways among us as well. So, just uh, welcome. All right. Boy, I can't get used to that every week. That's, that's cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. My... Oh, there. No. Come on. Technology is wonderful. There it goes, when it works. <laughs> you know, we're a, we're a good church, but I don't think we're quite a perfect church. But that's what we always strive for, isn't it? You, you strive for that perfection, you know. So, you know, we want to have the best preacher. Oh, wait a minute. Strike one. Okay. <laughs> oh, we want the best singing, right? Oh, wait a minute. If we're all in the church, then we probably don't have the best singing because we're not all professionals. Strike two. Okay, we want the fanciest facility. Uh, no gold leaf around here, huh? Uh, you know, so strike three. Now, does that mean that we're out? No, no. No, because we have two more outs, right? Okay, so let's keep going here. Okay, so how about we've got the best youth program? Amen. Well, we have a good youth program, but is it the best? Oh, okay, we'll call that a ball. Uh, <laughs> do we have the biggest and fanciest BBS ever? No, no, there's another strike. Well, you know, we could go on and on like this, couldn't we? But what's the problem here? You know, it's not that we don't have good preaching, good singing, good facilities, a fantastic youth program, you know, which I agree. Um, or good VBS, or good Bible school teachers, or whatever you want to call it. We have good ones. But too often, it's a matter of comparison. Because we don't understand what the church is. So we compare it to something that it isn't. And we make these comparisons. We've taken something that was meant to be a form of communion with God and with his followers and turned it into a commodity to be evaluated. As Don McLaughlin puts it, we've substituted consumerism for communion, personal preference for God's will, self-love for self-sacrifice, infatuation for fidelity. But don't think that you're the only ones who have ever fallen short or stumbled into error this way. We have lots of company. There are no perfect churches out there. Uh, matter of fact, the Spirit used one such church 
to help all future Christians understand what really matters. Of course, that church is the church in Corinth. We just had our reading from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Paul talks to them, and he wants them to understand that what really matters as the body of Christ really matters. Because Corinth had problems, didn't they? They had division. They had false teaching. They had feuding. They had class conflict. They had immorality. Oh, did they have immorality. Uh, they had messed up marriages. They were in legal disputes with one another. They had worship wars. And they were backsliding into paganism. Pretty messed up church, wasn't it? And you know what Paul called that church? He didn't call them backsliders. He didn't call them, you know, all sorts of things. Or, or even call them, you're no longer Christians. He called them the church of God. He called them the church of God. In spite of everything they were doing wrong, the Spirit of God was still there working among them. Now, this doesn't mean that we as Christians today can just do whatever we want and get away with it. Because that's not what Paul was trying to do with the Corinthian church. Paul wasn't letting them off the hook. He was doing just the opposite. He was calling them back to the path that God intended for them to be following. But to do that, Paul had to remind them about the ways of God and especially what was fundamental to his ways. We wanted to do a quick review to get to where we are today in chapter 13. We find out that chapters 1 through 12 of 1 Corinthians are Paul's effort to untangle all of this knots, mess, nest of, of issues that were going on in the church and to help them to understand what was most important. And the key to really understanding what life in Christ is about and by extension, what life in his church is about. What is the key? What do you need to know first and, all, and, first and foremost? Do you guys remember, I don't know if you did this, I was terrible about it. I would just badger my mother in the grocery store for that special cereal because it had the decoder, you know, it had the secret message on the outside, you had to get inside and get the decoder, you know, key to be able to figure out what the message was. I would badger her to no end to get that box of cereal. Of course, I'd dig in, find the decoder, read the message, and not eat the rest of the cereal. Uh, didn't make my mom happy, but it was a great advertising gimmick, okay? Well, it turns out that there is a decoder key for understanding our life in Christ. And Paul brings us to that key in chapter 12, verse 31. And when he says, let me show you a more excellent way. And of course, that excellent way is not really a new way at all. Think back to our call to worship. David, over a thousand years ago, speaks directly about how vital God's love is to our lives. In Psalm 63, verse 3, he said, Your loving kindness is better than life. Better than life. Is that something that you and I can say? That God's loving kindness is better than life itself to us? I hope it is. 
To say that without God's love in my life, my life wouldn't be worth living? You know, over the next seven sermons, we're going to really dig in and examine this most excellent way, the way of love. As you know, that way is named and described in chapters 13, uh, especially in verses 4 through 8. It is the way of love. Greater than faith and hope, love is the key to understanding God and to fairly discern how we're doing as an individual Christian and as a church. You know, you can have large numbers without love. But you can't have authentic community in Christ without the love of God. That is the love that God calls us to. In fact, he makes it real clear in verses, in, in verses 1 through 3. He says, we can do some pretty impressive things. Read through that list. Man, give our body to be burned. You know, give all we have to the poor. Move the mountains by faith. If we don't have love, we're nothing. We are nothing and we gain nothing as a result. Don McLaughlin adds that this love is different from the world's love, even though it may share some of the same characteristics. This love that we're called to is what McLaughlin calls a Christ-conditioned love. A Christ-conditioned love. To be distinguished from worldly, unconditional love. And the distinction between the two is that Christ-conditioned love is focused on transformation. Too often what is meant by unconditional love in the world is that we will live and let live. That we won't be judgmental or express displeasure or disagreement with someone else. Folks, God loves us too much to give us that kind of love. He wants us to be transformed. The ultimate purpose of his love is to change our lives so that we can know him and share him with others. Today I'm going to focus on Christ-conditioned love as the first two attributes in the list talk about, as being patient and kind. Patience is not a passive virtue. It's also not an easy virtue to put into practice. Uh, in Neil Simon's uh, play, The Glass Menagerie, the mother, Amanda, admonishes her daughter, Laura, to, uh, she uses a little southern accent, and she says, preserve your soul in patience. You know, that's not, that's not easy for young people to do. And, and let's admit it, folks, old folks like me, it's not easy for us old folks either, is it? To be patient. To really be patient. And yet that's what God calls us to be. He calls us to be patient. You know, I, in some ways I think there's a better term for that. I've uh, been checking in on Gary Groom as he's recovering from his knee replacement. And I'll ask him, how are you doing, Gary? And Gary's standard line is, he says, well, I'm persevering. You know, perseverance, I think, is a good word to use in this idea of patience here. It's persevering. It's even, it's, it's hanging in there when the going's tough. You still hang on. You still keep going. We see this in the way that God's love is described in Scripture. 
Think about it when you think about this, this arc of the story of God's redemptive love for us throughout the Bible. In the face of man's repeated rebellion, repeated failure, the Lord chose to continue and pursue us. The prophet Hosea is one long allegory of God's love for Israel as seen through the prophet's own messed up marriage. In 1st and 2nd Peter, excuse me, the 3rd chapter, verse 9, we're reminded that the Lord is patient because he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants to give time. God's love, that agape love that we've been talking about, is not a moment-by-moment moment thing. It is a steadfast and it is steadfast and sure, and it knows that hope remains as long as breath remains in us. You know, I think farming life is a good illustration of perseverance and patience. You can't push the seasons. And if you do, you know, you're going to pay. I can still remember the time that Wilson Sparks ended up replanting his garden three times because he got back from Florida and he was all excited with a little bit of warm weather and he planted his garden and then the bottom dropped out again just as the plants started to come up. So he had to do it and it happened again. And it was the third time finally was the charm. You know, you can't push Mother Nature because it'll either frost you in the beginning or it will burn you out at the end. If you plant it too late, you can not get what you need because it's just too hot. So Christ's conditioned love is patient and it doesn't force things. It waits for the right season to come. There's a story I came across about a man who bought a house. And that house had a tree in the backyard. But it was the middle of the winter. And so there was nothing remarkable about this tree. It wasn't any different from any other trees that were sitting around in his yard. Well, when spring came, the tree grew its leaves. And then these tiny pink buds came out. Well, how wonderful, thought the man. I have a flower tree. I'm going to enjoy this flower tree all summer long. But before he had time to really enjoy the flowers, the wind began to blow and soon all of the flowers disappeared and they were strewn across the yard. And he said, what a mess. This tree isn't of any use to me at all. Well, summer passed and one day the man noticed that the tree was filled with large green nuts. So he picked a large one and he took a bite and he went, Ugh, this is useless. What a horrible taste. This tree is worthless, its flowers are fragile, and the wind blows them away. Its fruit is terrible and bitter. When winter comes, he said, I'm cutting this tree down. But of course, the tree took no notice of the man and continued to draw water from the ground and warmth from the sun, and in the late fall, produced crisp red apples. Some of us see Christians in their early blossom stage of happiness and think that we should stay that way forever. Or we see Christians in the bitter parts of their life and we think, oh, they will surely never bear any fruit of joy. Could it be that we forget that sometimes fruit ripens best when it ripens late? We have to be patient. We have to be patient with one another as we go through the seasons of life. 
And we have to be patient with others when we're trying to influence them for Christ. And as I said a moment ago, patience is not passive. To continue on with that apple illustration a bit further, you know, growing good apple trees takes work, year-round work. In the winter, it's got to be pruned. Uh, it's got to be fertilized uh, and uh, made right so that when the summer comes, it can blossom. Once it blossoms and the fruit sets on, you've got to spray it all so that the bugs don't eat it up. So there's a lot of work that goes on into producing these apples. So our love is not sitting back passively waiting for all this stuff to take place. Love is something that is actively out there at work, nurturing, pruning, patiently working with others so that love of God can come to fruition in their lives. Going along with patience then is kindness. You know, one of the standard jokes about Canadians is that they're very kind. You know, they're always saying, I'm sorry. You know, about, anyway, it's always a joke about Canadians. I don't know. I always kid them about it. You know, I've, I've thought about that. That's really not such a bad thing to be known as as a nation, is it? To be a kind nation, a nation filled with kind people. And you know, for us who are Christians, shouldn't that be what we're known first and foremost for? Because even though we may be American citizens, some of us are citizens of other countries, our first citizenship is where? In heaven. That's the citizenship that is the royal citizenship that we carry. You know, the United States technically does not allow dual citizenship, but we don't have to pay attention to them because God's law supersedes that law. So we need to be sure that we are kind, first and foremost to one another, no matter what all the other considerations are, no matter how inconvenient it might be, or how maybe seemingly inappropriate or disruptive even it might be. One Sunday at a church, the last hymn had been sung and the preacher was getting ready to stand up and give his message. It was a moment of holy expectation. Well, just at that moment, a teenage girl sitting over on this side of the auditorium stood up and started walking across a crowded pew, heading towards the opposite side of the church. And people were watching her do this, and they were thinking, you know, if she was going to leave, she could have gone out the side aisle. But she wasn't leaving. She made her way across that pew, a crowded with people, across the aisle, and put her arm around a friend of hers who was sitting all by herself. Because 12 hours earlier, that friend had lost her grandmother, who had been suffering from an illness. Her friend came to church to try to find strength to make it through this difficult time. And arriving late, she didn't find a pew to sit in, so she ended up sitting by herself. As this young teenage girl gently hugged her friend, those in the congregation smiled and shed a few tears of joy because they knew that the friend showed up or showed Christ's love through that simple act of companionship, being kind. She risked causing a major distraction in the church, which happened. But that's the small acts of kindness and love that are the fabric of our authentic community life together in Christ. 
And the story goes that the preacher delivered a strong message that day, but it wasn't nearly as strong as the message that that teenage girl delivered. David in Psalm 63 declared that God's kindness was better than life to him. David could say that even though he was fleeing from Saul's soldiers who were trying to kill him, trying to cut him down. He was hiding in the desert. He could say that because he knew that God was with him. You know, this psalm was written not when David was safely on the throne in Jerusalem. This is written before that. And yet, in the midst of all the turmoil and, and the threat to his life, he still saw the kindness of God at work. As he was able to live another day and be there for God. I do wonder if we would be able to say the same thing if we were stuck in similar circumstances. It's difficult when we live in a culture that has become so unkind. But that makes each of our witnesses even more important. And it's not enough to be kind to those who are kind to you. Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to love our enemies, to care for the poor, the homeless, to be good to those who can do nothing good for you in return. Indeed, we need to hold the rich and the powerful to account for how they are wielding their power and how that power affects the least of those in our society. And absolutely, we should chastise them with kindness. We need to show the same kindness to them that we would show or that we want shown to us. In Don McLaughlin's book, he tells a story about he and his wife in the airport in LaGuardia, New York. And they uh, are going along the moving walkway and in front of them is an elderly couple as it turns out was from France. And when they got to the end of the transition of the moving walkway, you know, where you got to step onto the non-moving part of it, they both tumbled down. Well, Don and his wife were the next ones up, and they, they came and they, they stopped to try to help them. Well, there was a good, rude New Yorker coming through. And when he saw them all down there, he said, get out of my way! And he came and he just you know, literally smashed them as they had finally gotten the couple back up and almost knocked them all back down again. Well, Don said... Once she was sure that they were fine, she turned and took off after the guy. And uh, she walked up behind him, tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around and, she, and he said she gave it to him. She let him know that if his mother were around, she'd be ashamed of him. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and then he asked the question. He says, was she kind for doing that? And he answers that, yes, she was kind. Because she did it with respect. She dressed him down, but she did it with respect. But she was also concerned. She was concerned for his destiny in this life, but especially for his destiny in the next life. He needed to treat people well. So Christians, we have a special place in our society to kindly call our nation back to the most excellent way, the way of love. And to do this, we have to put it into practice. Church, we can brag and boast, or, or brag, boast and brag. We can posture and pose till the cows come home. But unless we let our faith express itself through loving actions, we are, as Paul says, nothing and we gain nothing. There is not a lot of patience and kindness in the world today. I think we all agree on that. 
Not nearly as much as there should be. And so, we, as Christians, have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to stand out like stars in the universe because we act differently. We talk differently. We let love lead instead of anger or hurt or revenge or envy. We let love be the thing that leads into all of our relationships. So let's lean into the grace and mercy and power of God and let our lives exemplify God's love through our patience and through our kindness to others. And when we do this, God is going to be able to work in us in powerful, powerful ways. So let God's love fill all of your lives today. Let it flow back into the lives of those that you meet. Don't hold it all in. Let it out. Let it go on. Let it be passed around so that others can be blessed by it as well. Remember, all of this world, this material stuff, it's gone. Only three things, we're told, are going to endure. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's follow this most excellent way. This path that we can walk through this life and follow right on into eternity. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you that in your son, Jesus Christ, we have true hope. We have true, true blessings. But Father, to really know those and understand those, we have to know you. And Father, that is done best by your son, Jesus Christ. And to know that through him, we learn that you love us so much that you would send him to die for. Help us, Lord, to exemplify that love in our lives, especially as we are patient and kind to others. Help us, Father, to let your love fill our lives and be a witness to those that we come into contact with day in and day out. Father, we confess we don't always live up to that, and we need your help. But, Lord, we know that with your help, your sun will shine through. And that contrast will be seen and people will be drawn to your son through the love they see in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are here today and you are wanting to have a closer walk with God, we want to encourage you to do that. God sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us and wants a relationship with us. That's why he created humanity in the first place. So I want to just encourage you to consider taking Christ on as your Savior. If you need to know how that is done, how you can be uh, closer with God, we would be glad to share that with you. If you are already ready to take Christ on as your Savior in baptism, the water is ready. We are ready to assist. We are ready to help you in that walk. If you need to know more, uh, we are always here, uh, ready and able to discuss and talk and encourage you uh, so that you can know Christ as your Savior and know that love. God loves the world, but there's a special love that comes to us through Jesus Christ. That's what we want you to know. That love that only comes in Him. 
And our way to come to him is by dying to ourselves, being buried with him, and then raised to newness of life. That's what baptism is all about. Forgiveness of sins, yes, that's wonderful. Being adopted into his family, yes, that's wonderful. But being like Christ, following him and following his example of love, that's what's key. We hope that you can join us in this path uh, or consider it for the future. Whatever your needs, the invitation is yours while we stand and while we sing.